right, we will get started uh, kind of tying into last week's lesson, um, kind of finishing up some stuff there we didn't get to there are more for older children, but yet for all your children, these are things you want to be thinking ahead of time of uh, some issues that are going to help you think biblically uh, through the process because you're in the middle of, of discipline, you're in the middle of dealing with things, and it's, it's good to have a, a worldview that kind of ties everything together on a, on a better level. And uh, one of the things that I've, I've probably briefly mentioned is the difference between convictions and preferences. You know, um, there's convictions that we have in, in our lives that are important to us and, and things that we want to hold to. Um, and they're different than our preferences. And there are some very easy uh, defined uh, differences between them. A conviction is based on revealed truth. God said it. It has been revealed in the Bible. Therefore, uh, it, I am going to hold to this because it is something I know that Scripture says. It's constant. Convictions are constant. They don't change. They're always there. They're not going to change with the, you know, the color of your refrigerator being avocado green or something like that. Um, if you look at uh, a preference, that changes with desire. As you shift and change where your desires are at and things that are important to you, as your kids get older, sometimes your, your preferences change. And so they change with desire. And convictions demand faith. I mean, you've got to have faith in these convictions that I believe it, God said it, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust God that he'll give me the wisdom to walk through this issue to uh, end up in the uh, uh, where, where God wants me to. It, it, you have to have faith to be able to handle these things. And uh, preferences, though, they rely on emotions of the moment. You know, it's, okay, what, what pressure is put on me right now that I need to act or react to this based upon it? And where my preferences land is often where you, you end up. So you're sometimes then telling your kids to do certain things and making them adamant based upon a preference. As you do this with your teens, yeah, Sneva. Uh, as you do it based upon your your preferences, I mean, you're just going to be willy-nilly and your kids don't know how to handle it and and. and why this and why not that? If you have convictions based on Scripture, you're going to have a, a uh, much different outcome because you now have a, an authority greater than you. So I have six characteristics of biblical convictions here. The first one, a biblical conviction is always based upon a study of and submission to an application of Scripture. Okay. Imagine if your teen was trained, when your kids get up to that age where they're teens, and they have been trained with a, a whole litany of scripture that's in there that's been put in on the warehouse shelves of their mind and that's what they're drawing from because you have studied it with them you have talked about it by the wayside when you walk when you stand and and all those areas of deuteronomy 6 you've taken the time to do that now there is a place that they can draw that little robot we talked about in the moral warehouse who's looking for stuff has done the work there because it is based on a study of submission to an application of scripture applying the bible to everyday situations of life so something happens in life and you just, oh, that ties into this scripture, that ties into this thing. And men, again, when we went through our <clears throat> mandate to you guys, it's a lot of this falls on you. The, the wife, often she's the one at home and, and helping with the homework in the afternoons and, and those kind of things. But uh, guys, we need to step up the game here. That's, that's our responsibility to be the ones that set the pattern and the pace of doing that in the home. Second, a, a biblical conviction is always predetermined. It's always predetermined. This is ahead of time, long before you ever encounter the situation, whatever it is that comes up. We've decided we're going to hold firm to this principle in Scripture. It's in the Word of God. We're going to hold to it. We know this is something important to us. We are not going to allow you to be disrespectful to your mom and dad. 
you will not scream or yell at mom and dad. That is something we're going to hold to because we believe Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, and that's not obeying, that's not honoring. So that is a conviction we're going to hold to in our family that you will not scream at mom and dad. You will not say, I hate you. There will be discipline if you do that. It's pre-established in your mind what it is of this is or is not acceptable behavior. Number three, a biblical conviction will not change in the circumstances. The, the circumstances, no matter what they are, now, <clears throat> context, um, your kid's screaming at you because there's a fire in the house? Yeah, yeah okay, that's okay. You know, we can scream at that, or you know, the brother just fell or, you know, and broke an arm and he's dangling from the ceiling or something. Yeah, there's, there's a point, the context is okay. But there's a other situations of, oh, they really got mad or you know, it's something related to their, um, an, an action that's, uh, that's not a, a, what do you call it, a safety issue or, or blood issue. <laughs> Um, so it doesn't change in the circumstances. Uh, consequences, uh, situational uh, consequences uh, will not alter our resolve on these items. So it's, it's not just always based upon the situations there. Um, think of the martyrs of old and how they stood behind their convictions. They said, you know, I will not. And these were over what we look at now and say, man, that's a fine line doctrinal issue. But they were holding to it. And uh, they said, no, that, that will not change my heart. I know the scripture says this and I want to under all circumstances hold to this. Number four, biblical convictions are inflexible. I mean, we can be inflexible in a world around us that does not allow for, um, for inflexibility and absolutes. We're saying, no, we have absolutes. We will be inflexible. There's no negotiating. Uh, we're not going to compromise on this to achieve something else. These are convictions. Um, number five, a true biblical conviction is bold. It's a bold stand that we take. Courageous acts of faith can be achieved through holding to biblical convictions. When we say, you know, I am going to train my child and, and use uh, biblical chastisement on them, even when my parents are saying, no, you can't do that to my grandchild, well, we'll find a way to do it because it's a conviction held within our heart that I need to discipline my child or he will go wayward. I believe Scripture says that, so I will do that even though my parents are on the opposite side saying, you can't touch my, great, my grandchild. And you do it with right um, methodologies and, and ways that you're not going to be uh, um, offensive to them, obviously. But it's, it's a bold thing. It's a bold stand where the rest of society is saying, ah, ah, you can't do that. You know, we do. Knowing that God can work in and through these convictions makes this a safe place to be despite what we might think will occur. Because we think, oh, you know, if I, if I stand up for this, um, what's going to happen? And we say, you know, I'll take those consequences sometimes. We're looking at what's happening with the church and with the transgender issues and what eventually may happen with the church and what they're going to try to force on us in certain ways. We're saying we're going to take some stands. They're probably going to be tough in the next 10 years, and it may cost us money. It may cost us tax exempt status. Who knows what it's going to cost us? But there's convictions. We say, no, we will not alter some of these. It's bold. Number six, true biblical conviction is always lived out. It's always lived out. Conviction that's not lived out is not real conviction. If you don't hold to it and say, oh, I'm going to stand here and will not go over this line, it's not a, not a true conviction. If my heart knows truly what's right, it'll definitely show in the decisions that I make and decisions that follow what my heart says is right. So that's kind of the difference between those. Not that every issue in parenting is a conviction or a preference issue, but you need to analyze these things. You know, as you're looking at things, how hard do I need to hold to these things? wanted to also talk about convictions versus wisdom or a wise heart. Um, this is what you want to train your kids to, to have is just 
back in their mind to know what wisdom is, and we train them that, and we've talked about that a lot, way, a lot of ways. In their conscience, they're developing wisdom. Uh, where the convictions lead, deal with uh, clear boundary issues, wisdom is the issue that deals where Scripture does not offer a clear, thus says the Lord. So now it's conviction being this is absolute in the Bible, whereas a wisdom issue, it may not say exactly, you know, um, you're going to have your, uh, you're not going to put a ring in your nose or something like that, whatever the, the issue is of, of some um, uh, preference or, or thing like that. Well, there's some wisdom behind things like that. You know, well, is, is there a health and safety issue? Is there is there wisdom of how they'll present you to other people and, and who it associates you with? All those kind of weird things that you have that that you're gonna um, that might be something that that is not that important, but you can add some wisdom to it. And what is the purpose of these things that we're doing and why? Um, what is it saying? Uh, because Bible doesn't say thou shalt not do those things, but so you can you have to make decisions. What's going to be a wise way here? Ted Tripp uh, in the reading uh, talked about this, but I want to mention some strategies he had on how to look for a wise heart. Things things to look for here. Number one is see the difficult, troublesome problem situation as God-given opportunities to develop, to develop a biblical mind in your teenager. Okay, so so you see these as you know what this isn't a I'm in a battle against my kid. No, this is a, a time for us to take this and use it as a God-given opportunity just to work through these issues with him. He says, by dealing with this issue in your life now, look at all the pain and grief God has spared you if this would have gone on much further, if you had had to dealt with it, deal with it at an older age. So things that are wisdom, uh, spending money. You know, there's, they want to go out and buy something. You think, oh, that really doesn't make sense. It's foolish. It'd be a waste of money because they want to, um, who knows what it is they want to buy? Something, uh, a, a, a video game, a really, really expensive, cool video game, and, and that's the only money they have and they're saving for it. There may be a place where they can do that, but you're going to teach wisdom into this thing that um, they're going to be wisely spending their money and, and teaching them in that process. So we want to use those situations. Secondly, resist making decisions for your teen. Have you teenagers? Don't step in and make those decisions for them. You need to walk them through and give them wisdom to make the decision. It's their choice. Remember we talked about how you're, you're releasing that, the, the whole idea of, of the funnel, where you're releasing more and more um, opportunities and decisions to them because it's, it's their decisions. They're going to be on their own eventually. You have to let that out there. So you don't make those decisions. You take time to teach them how to make wise decisions. You add in some biblical content to make the, the decisions there, putting those things. You know, what are, if they're looking to buy a, a, I don't know how much Nintendo games are, whatever those, is they even make Nintendo? <laughs> they don't. They do? Okay, good. Okay. So, so you, you say, hey, you know, how much money that is, and you, you talk about those processes of, of things that they need to, to think through in that, um, but let them make that decision. Give them the biblical content of, of why we would spend wisely. Um, finances, uh, fears, issues with friends that they have. and you, So you feed information to them to help make a decision that maybe it's not going to be a, a sinful decision, but it's an unwise decision that, that's not going to make sense. Our goal as they mature is to put more and more decisions in their hands as they exhibit wisdom and, and um, trust in those areas. Uh, we often forget to do this. Um, Ephesians 4, two, 2, kind of another part of that, is bear one another's burdens. They make a decision that you didn't agree with, but it was a, it was a choice. It was a preference for them. You know what? 
mom and dad, sometimes you just got to hold it in and, and not go and, and beat them over. Why did you do that? Stupid. No, you made that decision. Hey, now you, you spent whatever money it is, a couple hundred bucks on Nintendo. You don't have enough money for doing something with your friends now. Well, you made that decision, and there's some consequences of it, but you teach through it rather than tell them, beating them over the brow f for a, uh, a bad decision there. Uh, yeah, rescuing them is what is making decisions for them. No, you can or no, you can't. I mentioned the funnel there. Um, Ephesians 4.12, fathers, don't exasperate your children in that process. Don't keep that funnel in so tight that you're still having to make every decision as they get older. You want to put it out, but don't put it way out there where all of a sudden they turn 12 and, and they don't have any curfew and they can do anything they want. There's, there's wisdom in giving them the right parameters there. Number three, these are strategies for developing a wise heart. Draw out the heart of your child or your teenager especially. This is what we talked about often of asking lots of questions. Just sitting down with them. I sat down with one of my 25-year-old daughters uh, the other day and just, just asking her some questions. It was great still at that age to just ask, how about this? How about that? And it was just a, a good dialogue. I didn't do that as much as I should have. Proverbs 25, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And you, you need to ask, what's making you think that way? Uh, why did you um, think that that was a good idea? Um, good questions that uh, they, can't an they can't answer without just examining their heart. You want them to look at their heart. And what is it in their heart that's, that's driving these answers? You know, they make a decision to uh, do something that maybe they, you know, dye their hair purple or something like that. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't dye your hair purple, but there's some wisdom to that. And why would you do that? So you ask those kind of questions. What, what is it that, that, that's doing this? And you might see, because you're looking at what, what's in the heart, my little chart here, you're looking at what's the overflow of the heart. It's a fear of their friends or a, a, a desire to want to be liked by their friends, a belonging that they're not getting other places, so they're wanting to do it with their peers. And so you can say, are, are mom and dad, are we not giving you the... Um, the right form and the right place to be loved and to be accepted here. And you make that dialogue and let them answer. Tell them, you know, you have a free answer here. You can tell us and you're not going to be in trouble for saying, no, dad, you haven't been around long enough. Or no, dad, you haven't been um, uh, talking to me enough. These are the dialogues that are going to help here, drawing it out of them. Number four, be persistent. That's not settling for grunts and groans because they're going to want to do that. It, the teens do especially. No eye contact or, or silence. Uh, no, make sure they understand the conversation you have is not about catching them doing something wrong. It's about getting into their heart and helping them in this. You're not dispensing punishment, but you want to help them identify the right things here. And, and when they're young, when they're two or three, no, you're not going to have the conversation that way. No, this was wrong. I told you not to do it, and here's the consequences. And you, you know, lift them up and put them into the right situation. As they get older, you need to have this dialogue. Number five, don't try to tell your teen, especially, or your child, in one conversation everything you've learned. So it's just, blah, you dump on them for an hour. That's, that's not going to work. They don't, they don't want that. That's not going to help them that much. Be sensitive to how you're received. So you ask a question and see how they're, how they're responding. Um, what hits me every time I read that is, is the story we read of uh, Ted Tripp and having the conversation with his son, and thanks for a good conversation. And then later on, he came back, knocked on the door, and said, uh, Dad, just want to let you know we... I didn't say anything. It wasn't a conversation. Well, that's the, ugh, you know, I, it was me just telling him what to do. So don't do that. Hopefully you can see how all this works on the conscience, that little warehouse, moral warehouse up there and putting things in there. We have a, a huge responsibility ahead of us, and uh, there's a lot, lot to be worked on there. So I wanted to cover just some of that wisdom training. 
Um, funny, we talked about goals originally. I thought as a, a kind of a wrap-up lesson here, um, when we first met the very first week, I put down your goals on the, on the paper up here on the wall, and I wanted to read some of those. Read them. <coughs> World, how did I get there? Sorry, I have to go back into my... Oh, I don't want to upload that picture. Let's find where this was. Because I wrote down what it is that we were looking to do in this class rather than just uh, go full speed and not have a plan here. Is that it? Nope, that's a work plan. Ah! One second here. I'm sorry, I had it here somewhere. It's all ready to load. Well, I don't have it, sorry. Um, we had some goals, and some of them were we, we wanted to raise godly families. Some of them, I think the answer you guys said was, I want to get my kids through parenting and not, have, not be in prison. I think it was one of, the, one of the comments, you know, we don't kill them. Um, hopefully now we can look back and see some of our real biblical objectives we're after. What is it we're after here? Um, overarching objective is for man to be consumed with the glory of God, and we want to train our kids to do the same and have them seeking after God in their own heart. That Westminster Confession says that. Um, here's some other ones. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Those are some of the objectives we have. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. They're great goals to have, and uh, that will help you have kids that will see Christ through the right lens. Um, but we need to teach our kids in this culture. It's, it's hard. It's, it, they want to be a part of the culture, naturally, and they should be, um, but they abandon a knowledge of God is what the culture has done. So we need to make sure that we're teaching them how to function in this way. Um, we're not going to teach them how to function under the, the culture under the culture's terms. Um, cultural influence has driven parents to take delight in delighting their kids with material things. And it's real easy to do that. Oh, I'm going to get them this. I'm going to do that. We're going to go to Disneyland. It's, it, it becomes a, a Disney dad type of a thing, and it's from one excitement to the other. That focuses on a delighting in material things as opposed to delighting in knowing God. And not to say we can't do those things. It's great to give your kids joy. I mean, it's a lot of fun to watch smiles in their faces. They're five years old at Disneyland, just awestruck. Those are wonderful things. But we don't want them to be taken captive by hollow and, and deceptive philosophies. So we need to redeem the time. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So we, we look at what time they're spending. Analyze your kids. What time are they spending doing what? And, and what is the ultimate um, end to that? Does it glorify God? How much time are they spending on their Wii games or on their video games or on the Internet, on their cell phones? And, and you have to look at these things, especially as they get older. Is it properly balanced? And we have to provide the wise response to that. Now, if they're on their phone all the time, but they're reading scripture or they're, you know, listening to Al Mohler blogs and that kind of stuff, awesome. I mean, that's, that's great. Use the technology in those ways, but, but you have to be a part of their lives. In our first week, we said man is made to worship. Remember that? And what will he worship? Or I guess it was the second week. Man is made to worship. Um, and they're gonna, we're going to worship something. We talked about, you know, the Olympics. Look at, you know, we get all excited when Bolt goes and, you know, makes some high-speed run or whatever it is that goes on or all these different things that went on, but we worship something. Do I have any desire on earth greater than God? As Psalm 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you? 
we need to teach our kids they can only be fulfilled in Christ. So that's a, a conversation that has to happen regularly, not once, and then they, uh, they just never have to hear that again. As parents, do you thirst for God? Psalm 63, 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Man, I need to work on that. I know that. When I read something like that, I said, my love for the Lord and my action in doing it just is not at a level of that, that I am really that anxious uh, for the Lord. That's where, if we're at that level and our kids know it, uh, that's, that's going to help them want to do that. So the goal of these truths that we've looked at is to teach your kids to entrust themselves to God. So there's some uh, challenging questions you need to ask yourself, and I, I think I might have listed these on your sheet here. How do you fi- define success? Did I, did I put those questions there? No. Okay. How do you define this success? You look around, and it's easy for us to think monetarily, but think parenting-wise. How do I define the sex, success? Or it, how would your kid answer this question? What my mom and dad want for me most is, you know, if they, if they were to answer that, a five-year-old, I'd say they want me to, you know, clean up my room and, and obey when I um, give them chores. But a, a 10, 12-year-old, how would they answer that? What is it that my mom and dad want most from me? How are we weaving into the right um, answers in their minds of what they're looking for there? As we looked at the different goals here, um, maybe even some negative ones, how do they affect your parenting most adversely? What are the the negative goals that we shouldn't be pursuing? Uh, What makes you tick? What makes you operate day by day? What is it that's in your mind that's making you do what you do, especially as you're thinking of parenting? Is it really Christ? Is it really following after him? What do you fear or feel anxious about? You as parents need to have these answers because that's what's going to be played out to your kids. What do you fear or feel anxious about? What are the values taught in your home? So, yeah, we've talked a lot about this, and you've picked up hopefully a couple of these things, but how are you going to continue that process of training values? Are you going to set up some type of a, um, a, a book you're going through, a, uh, um, a devotional, a study? Are you going to place some action to keep this going so you actually are putting things into your child's mind? Uh, how has the culture impacted your view of, of teens, if you have teens? I mean, the culture has done that. We've looked at it, and we have a different view of what our expectations are. Uh, what are the subtle ways in which you're tempted to teach your children to function in terms of serving God and living for his glory instead of for just survival? Subtle ways you're, tempting, you're tempted to teach them to do the opposite, to say, you know what, it's okay to, to pursue things that are of the world. Um, are you spending time in the spiritual nurture of your kids, especially if you have teens? I mean, that's just sitting on one-on-one with them, spending time. So there's a whole bunch of additional questions related to that. Psalm 145, just remember that. One generation will commend your works to another. So how will your kids, when you're older and they go and have their kids and they have kids, how will you be spoken of? Yeah, I remember great-grandpa. Aaron, man, that guy was a godly man, everything I heard about him. That's going to be the legacy you're leaving. And how will that happen? It doesn't just happen by osmosis at your kids. And I'm looking now at grandkids. You know, how am I helping to assist in that process of my grandkids to be involved in their life every time they're over? Okay, am I thinking consciously of how I'm putting the word of God in their heart? I need to do that more. So this has been good. Okay, so lastly, I want to look at playing catch-up. Came to this class. It's been 17 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever it's been so far. Um, and you, all these great ideas. 
tempted to become discouraged because you didn't learn this earlier. Man, why didn't I start earlier in life? And, and now I've got to do all this work to change everything over. The reality is, in God's providence, you're learning this now. God has given you some wisdom to do that. And he's going to honor you as you seek to honor him through this and implement these truths as you heard them and as you continue to implement them. So here's some steps. First, number one is confess and acknowledge your failure to your child, to your teen, whatever age they are. Uh, Take some time to confess with them. Begin with a time of instruction by talking directly with them about where you're at as parents, what you've done, and how you're going to change that in light of the biblical truths that you've learned. I mean, son, I, I, I... haven't been parenting you in the right way. I haven't been calling you to immediate obedience. I haven't been calling you to a, a 100% obedience. I have failed. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Confessing that, uh, you know what, I haven't done it right. I'm going to be changing some things. There's, there's going to be some work on my part here. Um, you should also encourage them that they can work with you on implementing these changes. I need your help, son, daughter. You know, I, I need your help. I haven't been calling you to a standard. I need to change. It's been my problem, not yours. You know, I call you, and I don't expect you to, to answer me. I don't expect you to come the first time. I, I tell you, wait till 3, or you know, I've sent mixed messages. I need you to work with me. You can do this. Psalm 34, 18 and 19, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. That's kind of a good verse to rest on. Yep, the Lord is the one who will do this. It starts with a foundation of a proper, proper biblical worldview. God is in charge. We are not, and we need to walk through that. So we confess that, and we acknowledge that to our kids. Number two is instruction in, in new ways of thinking. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, that whole section there that talked about when we do this at all times is when we should be doing this parenting process and instruction. But bring your, bring your children with you. You've got these new ideas, and you've, you've heard about them. We've been through a lot in the class here. So you need to bring them along in that process. You need to teach them these things. So teach them the circle of blessing. Just take it and write it out. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Honor your mother, honor your father and mother that may go and, and obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that you may live long, long, and that it will go well with you. Just take that little little stick guy, however you can draw it much better than me, and put him in there and, and explain this whole circle of blessing. Explain that, you know what, when you're out over here, son, we've got a problem, and, and, and we need to rescue you. It's, it's not a healthy place to be. I need to do that. You just you talk to him, and, and you sit down and, and take time to do this and come back to it. It's a real easy thing to remember. Spend an evening working on it. That's going to help them. You then need to also teach them the overflow of the heart. I mean, go to Luke 6, 43 and following, and talk about, you know, what's in your heart here, and, and you have a sin issue, or maybe you don't, or maybe you just share, you know, I've got uh, unkindness. Uh, earlier today when I'm driving, son, remember, I, I yelled at that guy that cut the car in front of me? That was an overflow of my heart in what I say and what I do. And so you, you explain that. This behavior that I did here isn't because I just all of a sudden freaked out and turned into somebody else. No, this is what's in my heart. And, and son, I'm going to help you, or daughter, I'm going to help you walk through to understand what it is that's in the overflow of your heart, because that's where is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. I need to help you guard this, because there's things in here that aren't right that we need to fix, and we need to push out the things that are in there that, uh, that shouldn't be. That's part of the way we do this. It's out of the abundance of the heart is what the how the mouth speaks. Um, 
you need to teach them the nature of reality. And I don't know if I shared this one with you. I think I may have, which we live in this world where you know, it's a, it's, uh, let's say there's a little house in here that they live in, and there's a tree over here, you know, with the, I'm not an artist, am I? And there's a walkway to the house, and there's a car sitting in the driveway here. And here's your one dimension of life that we live in, but there's a whole nother dimension out here of our lives that we need to look at. We need to look out here and see how God works in us. We need to look at the poor and how we deal with the poor. We need to look at, at um, uh, anger, you know, all these other issues of life that exist, that exist beyond just physically what we see in front of us. Um, God's, uh, all of the aspects of God, you know, this is who God is and it's abstract. It's not something we just see on the front plane. And as they get older and older, you need to build out this depth to the box of their understanding. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, ex an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So now, as this picture here changes in life, the house comes down, or you have the car that gets crashed, or the, you know, the, the engine blows up on it, or uh, the tree, somebody falls out of a tree and gets hurt. This whole thing, when this shatters, when there's problems here, all of this still remains. They understand who God is. Oh, okay. This is just one side of the picture we're looking at. There's a whole other side, whole issues that are behind everything that goes on that I need to know about. I need to be serving. I need to help others. There's, there's other people in life other than what I just see in that little window that I'm looking at, other dimensions. That's, that is a real good way to get them to see these things. So nature, reality, there is so much more to it. Next, you need to teach them the Godward orientation of their hearts. Remember that one? where we all are going to bow down to something. See if I can draw my little stick guys. So here's our guy here, and God is up here, and he's going to be worshiping God, or else he's going to be over here bowing down to idols. Hey, I did it. That guy's almost look like he's bowing down. He's going to be bowing down to some type of idol. What is that idol? We all have idols in our life. It's a great place to take your kids and just walk through and explain to them, son, you have an idol. I, I see you are so concerned about your hair has become an idol. The way it has to be slicked back and gelled exactly perfect. It's becoming an idol to you. Now you can walk through those things and explain those type of idols or the idol of being accepted by his friends as opposed to really seeking after God. Romans 1, 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. We talked about power, position, pleasure, possessions, all of those P's when we went through that section there. Those are the things that we bow down to, all of those. And we need to work through that. Just explain it to them. When, when you see these things happening in their life, you, you, you might say, here's a little guy. Are we worshiping God or are we down here? Are we worshiping some other idol that, that we shouldn't be worshiping? We're all worshipers. E, we need to show the perspectives on the glory and excellence of God. So there's the negative side, all these other issues of things that we're walking through, but then we have to feed them with the glory of God and the excellence of him. And that's, you know, over here, some of this parts of this box. We need to put those things in there to fill, fill them up. Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation 
will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Well, how does the generation commend to the other? Because the parents did their job, and the next parents did their job, and they keep commending it. That's what we need to do. And, and we teach that through the heartaches and through the difficulties and through the trials. Um, when my friend was murdered that I, I've talked about, I came home and we explained to the kids, we don't understand what's going on here. This is, does not make sense to us, but we're going to trust God that he has a plan much greater than us that something like this would happen. It's, it's unfathomable. Something as simple as the car breaks down on the freeway with all the kids in it. Well, how do you handle that? God has given us a reason to rejoice in this, kids. I don't understand why, but you walk through it. So they see that our perspective is God is good. God has not given us something that's negative, that, that's bad for us. He wants to teach us something of his excellence. And so you commend God in each one of these things. Lastly, there is teach the biblical truth, the basic ones, creation, fall. You, you know, you know <laughs> you're going to be you're walking through this right now, aren't you? <laughs> Both of you guys. Um, the creation, fall, redemption, the cross, all those things. Just make sure you're teaching those regularly. Teach the gospel in your house. We don't know when that child who's hearing of it from the time they get out of the womb until whatever age God will call them in his own divine Holy Spirit's work when they will be actually called. But we want to just keep tilling that ground and keep laying all the stuff there that's going to take those seeds and germinate when God so chooses to do that. Um, if we haven't done that, if we don't talk of that regularly, it's, it's going to be a foreign concept. They're not going to just come to church and learn those things. So we need to teach those things. Um, the next part of the process, so the first was to uh, confess uh, where you're at. Number two was new ways of thinking and instruction. Number three is focus on correction. Let your child know you're developing fresh new ways of implementing and correcting the word from the word of God. It's important to let them know that I'm learning. I'm not in process here, but I am going to correct these here these things. I see um, uh, some behavior going on, and, and I'm going to I'm going to work on it with you. So first, you need to discuss your new expectations based upon the biblical insight you've learned as you play catch-up. This is how, if you haven't been doing it, okay, I'm going to be changing perspective here. You need to be passionate about this. I mean, you have, because I want to save you. You're, I, I don't want this to happen. I'm concerned for you. I'm learning so much. You be passionate about this and be persuasive uh, as a part of this thing. You're, you're going to be encouraging them. You're going to be praising them for things that are going on, especially as you're making this change. Of, of the way you're handling the parenting process of you're going to need to stop and praise them anytime you catch them doing something right. And, and that's going to be important. You need to be gentle and humble as you're going through this. Remember the whole, this whole chart here where we went up and we saw what's in the heart and we had to come over the cross? Well, now it's not that, oh, you terrible, rotten kid, how dare you do that? It's, no, I have the same problem. I have sin in my heart. I need the cross too. So you're, you're with them. You're humble and you're gentle and sensitive as you do this. Think of a roller coaster. Everyone, you know, you guys love uh, Six Flags. And you're on a roller coaster, and all of a sudden it makes a sharp turn. Man, your stomach goes, doesn't it? Well, we don't want to do that. Slow it down a little bit. You don't have to make all the changes all at once. Uh, hard turns aren't easy in the parenting process. So make sure you're explaining. There's a big turn coming up. Put your seatbelt on. We're going to be making some changes, kids. And now, then you make them together. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we try to think that I have to win every single time. You don't. Um, eventually, they'll, they'll get it. Psalm 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. We can use those things with our kids. Not that our kids are—sometimes our kids are rulers in our house, if we haven't um, 
set down the rules there, but a soft tongue will break a bone. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we need to be gentle in this process. As we're discussing, here's our expectations. I have not been holding you to this standard. Please forgive me for not doing that. I'm going to hold to this standard now. Get used to it. It's going to be a hard road, but I'm going to help you do it. You see that you're walking them with you through it. Part of that be there is to acknowledge their struggles with these new changes. You know, hey, you're going to struggle with it, and I see you're struggling with it. When you spot them in it, I see you're struggling with, uh, with your attitude still. Let's pray about it. You know, lead it to Christ. R- recognize that they're struggling, but you lead them, point them to Christ, saying, you know what, remember, it's through Christ, especially if you show them the chart that shows how the cross fits in there. That, uh, that works well. Make an appeal to them to work with you. You know, ask them to work with you. Uh, always ask yourself why you can't say yes if it's appropriate. I, I know we had to do that a number of times where our kids would want to do something, and you just get in this thing when you're in a bad mood, and, and you've just gotten used to just saying no to everything they ask. Stop and ask yourself, is there a reason I have to say no to their request to go do something? And if there wasn't a good reason, let them do it. It's like, wow, mom's never let me do that before. You know, they want to ride their bike down to the grocery store, and they normally don't. And they've gotten a little bit older. Yeah, you and your friend, go ahead. Wow. So you're, you're showing some freedoms at the same time. You're not just being so dogmatic, and maybe that's losing a couple battles. But um, work through that. Make an appeal to them to work with you. But you, on the other hand, have to recognize, why, why is it I can't agree with what they're asking here? Um, you know, you're... Son wants to have spiked hair, you know, straight up like this. And knock yourself out, kid. Go right ahead. It's like, Mom, you know, they fall over. Dad, let me do that. Yeah, you're going to look like an idiot for a day. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, whatever. Whatever it is that they want to do. But sometimes that will, will help in that process. I know I had to do that with, uh, with music with one of my sons because his type of music was not my type of music. And I had to look and say, why is it that I am saying no to it? The words were good. The beat and the, the, the way they were singing scratch voices and stuff like that. It's like, that's, bleh, that's terrible. But I said, okay, go ahead and learn through that, and, and he did too. So I, I let him. Um, number uh, D is there, fortify yourself with hope from the Word of God. You're going to need this, guys. As you're making these changes, you are going to need the support here. And that's why I said at the very beginning is have like-minded friends. So other people in this room or our, us, if you ever want to call us, hey, Grant, we're really struggling. Can you help us walk through this? Can you just pray for me tonight? I'm dealing with an issue with my son. Call us. You must have hope to give hope. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that it might work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, and also to my entire family. And you can put that at the end. I mean, that's what we're after there. God will give us the strength to do that, that, that he can work within us. He will give us hope. 
Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Though through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may anticipate in the divine, uh, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's only through Christ that we have a chance of doing this. That's our only hope. In, uh, it's the word of God. If we're not in the word of God and you're trying to make all these changes, remember the, the little arrow that went across this one? When you're, you're, you're having the behavior, but you're not doing it with your heart, what was it? Hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Yeah, it's hypocrisy. Your kids will see right through you, especially the teens. They say, I know what dad's up to. I know what mom's up to. You want to see rebellion? It's because they see that. They see you just this little talking mouth saying everything that they should do, and you're not doing it, and it'll show. So hopefully you saw the class is, uh, is not so much about your kids, but about you and what we have to work on, our own hearts, our own lives, so that we can be that model and we can do the training and with God's strength. Next week, we are going to have Q&A the whole time. And, uh, and go back in your notes, write stuff, and, and come up with stuff. We want to give you a lot more practical how-tos of how, you know, how did you do this? How did you do that? We think that would be of a, a help to you. But uh, then we are, I don't have anything else to say. No. Oh, yeah, we'll have that next week. Yeah, we have a Yeah, if you want to have it be an anonymous question, you don't want to know who it's from. You know, uh, you know, I, I have a kid that has this problem. Well, you don't have to say it then. Just email it to us ahead of time and say, well, somebody in the class sent this question. That way you'll say, who was it? <laughs> yeah, really, that'd be good. Um, but we're looking forward to that. I know these Q&A times help us to, uh, to see where you're at and how we can help to fine-tune this. And this is not the end of the class. Uh, from here, we're available to you guys all the time. We, we would love to help you. We want to see parents that are passionate. And we hope that you will either take it again. And you guys have been in here a couple times. And, and this is a good thing for you to learn as, as your kids shift and change their age brackets. They've learned this, and now they're doing this. It's, oh, no, how do I handle that? So be a part of that. And uh, if and when you ever want to teach something like this, love to have other people that are helping other parents. Imagine if we had all the families in this, in this church all on the same track trying to do this in the same way. Man, that could impact the kingdom, couldn't it? We had that many people. That would be really cool. So anyways, that's our hope and our joy. Thank you guys for being a part of this. Let's pray. God, uh, it is to you that we want to give the honor and the glory. We, uh, we are just earthen vessels that uh, can be used for good or bad, and we pray that you would fill us up with your goodness, that you would overflow us with, uh, with your righteousness so that the world will know that we are different, that we have a, a foundation and a worldview that that is standing on something that's solid and firm, it, it's immovable, and uh, that is you and, and your hope and your love and your, your salvation that you offer to us. I pray for each one of these parents as they go from this class, having taken it, that, uh, that the, the principles gleaned in it, uh, at least a few will still remain in their minds as they go through their day-to-day process, um, that they can come back to this, they can uh, go to your word, more importantly than what's been said here, to, uh, to be challenged by ways that they can be more godly in the process of, of parenting. And uh, we pray for those kids, each one represented in this class, that uh, you would turn their hearts to you, that you would have uh, their names written on your uh, book of life. Um, that is our hope and our prayer, that uh, somehow in, uh, in your divine providence, each one will be called, and that we can raise the next generation up if you so tarry um, amidst whatever this world offers, whatever the United States will uh, will. Um, 
be like uh, that your word can go even bolder because Grace Bible Church has been a place of, uh, of uh, honor and of uh, commitment to you. Give us wisdom each in the process. May we win the long-term war, but maybe lose a few battles because we want to do it for your namesake, not for us, not to make ourselves look good, but to give you glory. And uh, give us wisdom in the process in your name. Amen.